It's episode 90 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Catherine Murray Clark. Hi. Hey. <laughs> Let's uh, maybe start with uh, Improbotics. Yes, that's how you pronounce it, definitely. How do you pronounce it? <laughs> I call it the robot show because I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, impro robotics or impro improbotics. It's about robots. It's got <laughs> robots in it. It's unbelievably exciting and amazing. It's uh, Piotr's creation from he's from Human Machine. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, and he has created this artificial intelligence robot um using uh he's fed it with a hundred years worth of films like film dialogue and through machine learning has created a like a way for you to be able to improvise with a computer in the sense that yeah so it will respond to a line of dialogue using um so if you said i love you it would spit out the 10 most probable responses to that line based on the information that it has from all the different films. So the, the probably the first most uh, probable one would be, I love you too. But it also might be like, you're on fire. So uh, <laughs> whatever. So uh, it, it kind of picks between them. And there's a human um, working the computer. So putting in the, putting like typing in the line of dialogue that's been said and then choosing which one is responded to ah, that's interesting um, and everyone on stage has uh, headsets in so we're being fed lines so there's a cyborg which is the person who's being fed lines by the machine by the robot and then there's a puppet which is um, there's another person on a computer pretending to be a machine pretending to be a robot feeding lines to a person so they're like a puppet and they're being like controlled by this puppet master person off stage um, and then there are humans on the stage. So the whole thing is a kind of Turing test for improv where the audience will watch a scene and then afterwards they'll have to guess who was the puppet, who was the cyborg and who was the human. Wow. Um, and so it's amazing and no one knows who's who and uh, obviously after a while you can guess and having rehearsed it for a while like you can kind of guess but still even it's hard to know so on Sunday what was really great was uh, we didn't fool everyone but a lot of people thought that the humans were also robots Ah. because we were like playing a trick on it so uh, Arfi was pretending to be a cyborg when he wasn't (laughs) (laughs) so it was just a really fun show and uh, it's been really interesting to do because it's such a different kind of um, improv it's kind of more similar to the actor's nightmare in the sense that you really have to justify whatever is being said to you and uh, you just have to make it work whatever yeah uh, and also there's a kind of it has to come from a different way of playing because there's this gap between obviously like normally in improv you would react quite quickly well one might so um uh, with this you have the real gap between when someone says a line that line is put into the computer then they choose what response and the response is said into your ear, then you hear it and then you respond. And by that point, the line might not no longer be relevant. Yeah. Um, so you have to kind of, or, or it doesn't make any sense at all anyway, and so you have to try and do it in a way that makes sense. So there's a lot more kind of physical, you have to be a lot more physical and have more like space work in the sense that you have to do something that fills the spaces whilst you're waiting for to say what you want to say. Um, and it's the thing that I was most intrigued by, um, or like the thing that I think is so amazing about it, is it the po- the robots, the AI, is far more poetic than you would imagine yeah. because it's genuinely using dialogue from films, and these films go back a hundred years. So uh, it it kind of it it um, it comes from like lots of different types of films as well. So you have like westerns and kung fu films and. 1920s and or like romance and whatever so you someone might say I love you and the response might be it takes longer to traverse the mountain than the sun takes to set on a winter's day 
And you'd be like, cool. <laughs> That's so nice of you to say, Barry. Oh, <laughs> such a sweetheart. <laughs> but like, it, so, and it, it comes from this like left field way that you would never, a human would never say that. Hmm. Um, and I think this kind of um, uh, using technology as a way of extending our own artistic ability is so interesting. Um, just came back from South by Southwest last week uh, in Texas. And there were so many talks there about how artificial intelligence is taking over the world and uh, we should all be really petrified, quote unquote, Elon Musk. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I went to see a really good talk by this uh, guy called Bruce Sterling, who is a author. He does like sci-fi thrillers and stuff, but he's also a futurist and like a trend predictor. Um, and he also runs a tech art festival in Italy. And his whole talk was about um, tech art and the idea that uh, what he called uh, cognitive dissonance, which is this this like gap between what we can do as humans and what we can comprehend and what artificial intelligence and technology is capable of. And that actually, if you look at it, human intelligence is actually limiting artificial intelligence um uh because that's it's like limited by our own flaws and our own perceptions and our own biases so uh if we could find a way to use that artificial intelligence to actually extend what we're capable of instead of seeing it as this kind of like frightening thing that's going to control us and destroy the world we can kind of like close this gap in the terms of this like dissonance and uh, create new amazing things that we never would have even been able to comprehend as humans alone yeah. um, and one other way that it was described to me that I thought was really good by another futurist called Amy Webb is um, that planes don't fly by mimicking birds so why would artificial intelligence work by mimicking human intelligence Wow. Uh, which I thought was a really interesting way of looking at it. Like, there must be a better way of doing things, one that we don't even know how to do, because, yeah, as I said, we're really limited by our own emotions and our own way of looking at things and our ego, etc., which the computer doesn't have. So I think instead of uh, seeing that as, like, a frightening thing, we can see it as, like, a massive opportunity to expand what we're capable of doing as humans. And I think that's really important in terms of the arts and in terms of... Um, finding new ways of exploring things and new ways of doing things. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I've said that a lot, but it's really exciting. <laughs> uh, and so that's why I think the robot show, Improbotics, is so completely exciting, is because it's um, finding a way to create with technology mm. um, and finding this like fun ways of doing things that just are so joyous and exciting that just put a new spin on what is quite like well explored awesome already yeah so yeah that's why i'm really excited about because it it's like one of my passions in terms of technology and creativity as well as uh improv improv fun times <laughs> yes uh whenever i have spoken to piotr and he's he's very patient every time i mention skynet <laughs> uh <there's> a- <laughs> Uh, and he, um, I just enjoy it because I know he's being patient, but I know he must get it all the time, but I just can't stop myself. Uh, but he's always very reassuring uh, about AI and, you know, how there's no reason why AI should be malevolent towards humans. That's... Yeah, I mean, the only reason it would be is because it uh, mimics and amplifies our own... Uh, biases and, and ways of doing things yeah. so all it can do is take what we've done so if if uh, there's a lot of talk around ethics and the future of artificial intelligence in terms of how do we create it so that it doesn't have all these horrible things that we've created how do we create this best version of ourselves as, as humanity to be mirrored by this uh, technology so obviously Skynet is going to be horrible if what it's doing is reflecting horribleness that we all have inside ourselves um and that's what again why there's this opportunity to be a better race of people um instead of like seeing it as they're gonna 
overtake us, which they will. They will overtake us, and uh, it's frightening, but it's fine. <laughs> so, uh, when you do an improbotics show, uh, do you get a suggestion from the audience at the beginning? Yeah, we um, get a suggestion of a, uh, I think it's a book or a play or a film, um, and obviously then we ignore that completely the entire show <laughs> yeah because that's how it works because it's so hard when you like obviously the humans are the people who are piecing it together and making it make sense um but if you get thrown this curveball then you just have to run with it and like justify that as much as you can so it's supposed to be a narrative show and it is it's actually far more narrative than a lot of narrative shows i've seen um but, uh, yeah, so we're trying to do, like, a kind of story arc in terms of, like, following one character. But, yeah, it's really difficult to do. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it difficult? Um, because it's, it's hard to... Um, because, as well, like, the, the AI only responds to the last line. So there's no way of, like, creating consistency in terms of, like, what it's saying, necessarily. So... Uh, yeah, you might, the thing, the one on Sunday uh, was about a prince uh, and a seamstress uh, or a um, tailor who created a golden cloak for this prince. Um, but then the prince was going to get married to a princess, but then she was murdered. Um, and then they had to create a golden uh, mourning robe. Uh, but then there was a revolution against the monarchy, so uh, they were all going to die anyway. It was very confusing, but also <laughs> really great. <laughs> so it was good. And the one before that was about a frog or a person that had to, that wanted to become a frog. And so they had to leave to go to the desert to become a frog. Um, and then obviously the parents of the frog person were really upset that they let their child go into the desert. Anyway, it's this kind of thing where you're like, yeah, what? <laughs> um, but it's good. It's really fun. But it's the justifying of the responses that you enjoy. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot more. Um, you really have to. Yeah, it's just. It, it's. I love the curveballs of it. They're really, really good. And there's so many amazing people in it that you know, no matter what, that you're really safe doing anything. So that's what's exciting about it. Cool. Um, and is narrative improv something that you're naturally drawn to um i don't know i wouldn't really say that necessarily um no fair enough <laughs> <laughs> um you're, you're also also part of heads might roll yes sell this to me heads might roll um i will describe it incorrectly so arfie just has to never listen to this just don't tell anyone. It's fine. Um, so the way that I describe it is it's an improvised socio-political satire um, of a political inquiry right. using the political inquiry as the, the, the structure for the show. So there's a panel of three inquirers and the suggestion from the audience is what's wrong with the UK? And so they do an inquiry on that thing um, and then they draw on lots of different evidence for their inquiry so it could be a, a testimony from a member of the public um it could be a, a scene which is like a piece of evidence which is like a film or a story or a book or something a newspaper article type it's just a scene uh or they can interview someone um or they can use a political cartoon um and yeah and all of that is building towards answering four questions which is, uh, I always forget these. They're written down on a piece of paper. We all have briefcases. It's very good. Um, I love a prop. Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a tambourine and wigs. So, um, a tambourine? Yeah, that's kind of like a, oh, look, a tambourine. We're, 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 we're really professional. Um, so it's like, who, uh, like, what is it? Uh, how has it affected, like, what is the, the effect of this thing? Um, who's to blame? Um, and what are our suggestions or recommendations for, uh, yeah, so what's the impact? Who's to blame? Um, recommendations. 
are the main ones. Um, and then that's supposed to, and then at the end they give their, uh, the results of the inquiry into whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, it's normally the fault of the French, so really? it's quite easy. Yeah, it's always the French, no matter what it is. <laughs> well. <laughs> it's just, okay. it's just how it always seems to, sometimes it's not, mainly it is. Right, okay, well I neither endorse nor whatever the opposite of endorse is. <laughs> Any statements about the French? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's also fake, so it's fine. <laughs> uh, and what sort of role do you play in this? Uh, well, it all swaps around all the time. So, uh, yeah, we some everyone gets to go on to be an inquirer, um, and everyone gets to be in the show as well at certain points. So I'm just whatever I need to be that evening I quite do, I quite like doing the inquiry because it's quite character driven so you embody this like character of whoever you might imagine might be on a political inquiry um, and then you get to just be that person the whole time and and uh, push it a lot uh, and I did it a couple weekends ago um, and it was such a good time it was really fun and I was really worried that Arfie would be angry with me afterwards because I, I said quite a few hand job jokes, but I didn't know if that was befitting a political inquiry. Uh, and he said it was fine. So um, <laughs> I was pleased. Um, yes, Jules described it as uh, knowing the rules and breaking the rules for fun. So I think that is what I did. I was like, oh, this must be very serious, but also let's talk about hand jobs. Um, Joel uh, was on the panel and apparently his facial expressions were quite uh, something to behold. So, uh, yeah, it was a really good time. It's always very interesting uh, if you watch back one of your performances because, yeah, if you're sitting next to somebody, you can't necessarily see their facial expressions. Yeah, exactly. And it's only after, or if something's going on behind you, that's always quite interesting when you watch the video back and go, oh, I thought I was being really funny, but actually I was being... Upstage, but that's... <laughs> this is. I'm happy for that to happen. <laughs> yeah, as long as the audience are laughing, that's all right. Um, so that's that seems a, a, a is it a mixture of it's not quite long form, but it's not quite. Sh it almost seems like it's a mixture of long form and short form. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it is a strange. It's not strange. Well, it is. It's not your normal improv show. Uh, last Friday, it was an hour of Heads My Roll and then an hour of The Concept. Yeah. And it was the most unimprov improv night I've ever been a part of. It was just really not your average way of... It, it's just something that's not been seen a lot before, I think. Yeah. Um, but it, it was something that... Um, I think at the beginning of the rehearsals, there was an idea of what it was going to be, but it definitely morphed over the weeks and months and stuff and became this kind of other thing and uh, so I was really excited to be part of that process of figuring out what worked what didn't work and what, what was missing and um, what was possible for it and I think that it's really really great now and I think that yeah I think it's it's a cool format to be a part of because it isn't like you say short form or long form it's more like sketchy but also not really. It's a political inquiry, is what it is. Yes. That's what it is. So. So, uh, what what didn't work? What got rejected? Oh, I can't remember now. Um, initially, the inquirers weren't such a big part of the show. Um, they were very secondary to it. Um, uh, originally, it was it was really satirical in terms of the it was just scenes. Um, and then the bits that got added in was the interviews, the uh, and the the political cartoons that kind of used slightly differently, um, and uh, yeah, so the it became more about like the inquiry became the backbone, okay. and then they were being fed by the scenes, whereas I think before it was going to be far largely more like um, the the inquiry was a very small part at the beginning and at the middle and the end. Hmm. Um, but now they're consistently throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it's just shifted a little bit. Um, so, but yeah, I think it's great now. 
that's good. Cool. And you mentioned political cartoons. How does that work on stage? So uh, one person will come on and be like, I'm a wildebeest. And then another person, <laughs> or not I'm, just like, a wildebeest. And the other person will be like, a skyscraper falling on its hinges. And the other person will be like, flames, <laughs> or blue flames. Um, and then the inquirer will name what each thing is. Right. So the skyscraper might be the UK economy, the wildebeest would be Brexit, and the blue flames are the Conservative Party, or whatever. <laughs> um, so they, but they have to really like make sense of whatever the things are afterwards so you can walk on and literally as a performer go on and do anything you want and the inquiry really have to make sense of it yeah yeah so i mean that makes about as much sense as most political cartoons that i've ever seen that whole point is that they don't make any sense (laughs) so and they're not very good (laughs) brilliant um you're also involved in gibberish all sorts yes tell me about gibberish all sorts i love gibberish all sorts um, we're like a hoopla group, so we formed off of lots of different hoopla courses and Chris Mead's uh, course as well. Um, and we're, we all started in probably about the same time as well. So we're all like as committed as everyone else and they're just such an amazing group of people. And uh, we have been performing together kind of since like the beginning of last summer-ish. Um, yeah beginning of last summer and we have over time developed our own format uh, and we just finished doing a, a carousel at the nursery with that which was really good yeah um so yeah and it's the, the the format that we developed was we just all of us really like thought about what kind of improv we enjoyed doing and then we created something that would facilitate us being able to do that more often wow. um, and it was kind of this uh, very much driven from Chris Mead's uh, theatrical improv stuff which is more about emotional connection and less about laughs but obviously if people laugh it's great yeah. um, and uh, yes yeah, so it's called This Is Not A Love Story and it's a non-linear um, improv show and obviously and uh, I was just remembering all the words because I wrote a lot of applications so I've, I've had to like create a lot of spiels and I'm really sad that I've forgotten them all <laughs> non, non-linear that's it non-linear narrative show right long form show yeah. all the words there <laughs> and um, it's about uh, a relationship that didn't work um, and the people and moments that define that relationship Um, and so we start at the height of the relationship and then we go backwards and forwards in time to kind of see where it went wrong or or how it was affected Um, so it kind of begins with the the ask we get as the name of the two characters and a place that they've been on someone's been on a date recently and then you say okay so this is Susan and Jerry uh, at an ice cream parlor three years before the end and so everything is you know that it's going to end and it's all like focused around this end point yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the in most interesting thing about it is to kind of think about relationships in terms of just because it didn't work out necessarily doesn't mean that it wasn't a hugely important part of people's lives yeah. and also that uh, you can love someone but there are reasons that it doesn't work and they can be external or they can be just that you've changed or you know we we are so influenced by other people. So it's kind of the, all the, it's the two main, the, the main couple, but then there's these external characters that come in and they're the ones that are driving the show. So they are the ones that edit. Ah. Um, and they edit using monologues. So they'll go to the front of the stage and be like, three months before the end, Jerry and his co-worker, Julie, are in the copying room laughing about an inside joke, whatever. And so then, you, and they create the, the scenes and the time jumps. And so it's really commenting on how we're influenced by other people in our relationships. And it's not always just two people. Um, but that's what I hope it reflects. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been super cool to develop that. And we've got Chris in to coach us. And um, uh, yeah, it's really cool. And you're going to Edinburgh? Well, order. Oh. Maybe. Maybe. We were offered a thing, a slot, and then 
immediately unoffered it. So, like, lost the place. But I still have hope. And I'm going to use all my admin, improv admin abilities to make sure that it happens. Okay. But, yeah, so we, we're still trying to make it happen. But I'm not saying that it's not going to happen. It just might not happen this year. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned your improv admin ability. Are you the person that does the improv admin for? Well, there's a few of us. Um, Yeah, it's a real team effort, which is why it's so great. I think a lot of teams kind of, when we started to think like, hey, we want to make this work. um, I actually went to a kind of like workshoppy thing with Steve uh, last year when we were kind of talking about new groups and how they form. It was it was kind of diversity and inclusion workshop. and I just asked around and got some advice on how do you create a group that consistently becomes a thing and doesn't just like you do loads of shows together or performance courses, whatever. You have a great time. How do you make it into a real thing? Yeah. Um, and the tips were, if anyone's interested. Uh, I think I'm, well, I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the tips were uh, work towards something. So book in a performance in two months time. Before you're ready. Before you figure you yeah, figured, yeah, yeah. Figured out what you're doing necessarily and ask people to commit to it in the same way that they commit to a course. Uh, so get that everyone, book all the rooms up front, yes. pay for everything up front, get people to give money up front yes. um, at a set periods of time so people come every week like it is a course and they're working towards something. And also if they've paid for it or in advance, there's more of yeah. an incentive to come. Exactly. Where, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's about paying for it in advance and... Um, kind of making sure that everyone is on the same level committed to it and uh yeah and like getting in a coach when there's 10 of you isn't very expensive either so it's a really great opportunity to have that stuff and work on things um so that really worked so there are a few of us who've been involved in that admin side um and then yeah we all collectively put together our edinburgh application and i was just the one like pulled everything together and put it into the text boxes um and figured out what we need to do and I've got like a design and background so I did all the design, creative, marketing, bumpy stuff. Brilliant. Because I'm really interested, much as I'm interested in the artistic stuff that happens on stage, I'm also really interested in how the actual group functions off stage and, and keeps going and things like that. So it's great that you've got more than one person just trying to herd everyone. Yeah, and if one person has done it more, then everyone else notices and takes up the slack. And um, yeah, it's really good. And it, you know, everyone's very grateful and appreciative for people who do that because you know how boring it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it just really helps when the people are really great. So it's fun. Cool. And how often do you rehearse? Uh, every week. Cool. Uh, I haven't been able to do it this week, this month, because I've been doing carousel on Sundays, but. Um, it, it's been every Sunday this year. Wow. So it is like really consistent. Um, and sometimes people can't make it, but that's obviously fine. And we have our standard WhatsApp group to uh, chat about things. So it's good. And Chris Mead's co- coaching at the moment? Um, we had two coaching oh. uh, classes with him in February. Um, but yeah, in the future, maybe again. That'd be fun. So if you don't have a coach in, how's the rehearsal organised? Um... Well, we uh, we actually got um, Michael Such to come in a few okay. times. Um, he's great to he's kind of brilliant. help us uh, structure our rehearsals and kind of give us some outward direction. And he was really pivotal in us creating the format and giving us these really amazing ideas. Um, we also, I took it to um, the Monday muckabout at the nursery oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we were still developing it and got a lot of feedback from people, um, which was really useful. But normally we just um, figure out what it is that we want to focus on for the first half, uh, whether it's like a particular skill or something. And then the second half we just run, um, like, just do 20-minute sets and stuff. Yeah. Um, but really interestingly, we had a, a coaching session with Chris a few weeks ago. There was an intimacy workshop. Oh, yeah. Uh, which was really weird. <laughs> but it was really great, but weird. Um, tell me more. Yes, so, because uh, our show's about relationships, there's been several moments that it was weird that we, we didn't kiss. Right. Because it's like a propo- like you're being proposed to or yeah. someone's pro- you're proposing to someone and then you're like, 
Yay! Glad to spend my life with you. Tap, shoulder tap. <laughs> Lovely high five. Um, and, yay! <laughs> Hug. Uh, and it just felt like inauthentic. And so we did this intimacy workshop with Chris um, where we just did loads of like stage kissing, like worked up to it. Um, and we've always been trying to work on our intimacy because. Um, I think it was Heather and Jules. I did an intimacy workshop with like a three day course with them. And they were talking about how when they're doing the 10,000 million love stories, that's, I was confused the numbers. Anyway, um, they like watch loads of couples. And when you're in a couple, you find an excuse to touch each other all the time. And it's not like a sexual thing. Yeah, it's yeah. just literally like that you would Touching. want to be in contact yeah, the yeah. whole time. And so we really had have been trying to work on that element of it to make it seem as realistic as possible because we are trying to make it a bit more like theatre yes. and a little bit more grounded and realistic and so uh, yeah the intimacy workshop was really great for to doing that and it was weird but I think we definitely overcame some barriers uh, <laughs> and we just got to make sure that we keep doing it basically <laughs> it involves Muppet lips which is where you like tuck your lips into your mouth and then you you kiss, but obviously you're not kissing because you don't have any lips. So you're just like pressing your face nubbin against someone else's face nubbin. Uh, <laughs> sorry, just to use the word nubbin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. I was... Yeah. So actually, you're like touching chins and uh, nose. Oh. Yeah. Um, kind of. So you're, it's like it's not sexual at all because mm. you're there's like face, just like a plane of flesh against mm. someone else's. It's like touching cheeks. Mm. Stop describing a face in this <laughs> disgusting way. I will stop trying to pull that face. Yeah, it really helped me to describe when I was looking at your face. It's like a plane of, it's like a piece of ham hitting another piece of ham from a distance. Well, not that you... your face is a piece of ham. I'm just saying that, like, if you, it's just like meshing of shoulders like, on a face. I, I, I genuinely didn't know. That was how you stage kissed. It's, uh, it's one of the ways of doing it, yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel full now for all the, the real kissing I've done on stage. but <laughs> <laughs> It's weird because I've, I've done only a tiny little bit of stage combat, so I know a little bit about that, but I've never actually done the opposite mm. stage love. Yeah. I mean, obviously you have to talk about like what your boundaries are and stuff, um, but it's, it was really cool to kind of like break that just so that we have it in our tool belt of things yes. that we could do. Yes. Um, yeah, to make it a bit more legit. And that's one of the lovely things about being in a group, because you get to know people and you get to understand what's acceptable and what isn't, uh, as opposed to being in a jam where, you know, you don't know the people, so, you know. Yeah, you don't want to, like, lick someone's face if you don't know who they are. No. <laughs> you don't know where their face has been. Exactly. It's, it's dangerous. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> just thinking about looking at people's faces now. Uh, good. Very good. Um, uh, and you've also joined uh, Hoopla's new short form group. Yeah, we don't have a name yet. We've only had one rehearsal. <laughs> but I'm very excited about it. It's such an um, amazing opportunity to be a part of it. And I haven't done very many short form games uh, since my beginners course yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just realized how much I love them because I love that stupid high energy uh, way of doing things and there are so many it's not I think sometimes it can be looked down on uh, as a format like yeah. short form stuff for sure I don't know like when I was first getting into it I was like I want to do long form stuff because it's really hard and I think that makes it good <laughs> um, but from all of my friends having come to watch my shows and stuff I think they much prefer short form stuff. Yeah. If you don't do improv, I think watching short form is actually way more fun. Ah. Um, because it's quick and like if something doesn't work, then it ends yes. and you don't see it again. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't get like drawn out for twenty five minutes where people are like awkwardly still trying to figure out why you're in a room together. Um, if it doesn't work, you just literally kill it and then you try something else. Yes. Um, so it's actually, it feels safer to watch and it's, I think, a much more closely, closer to sketch comedy, which people are used to, yeah. um, and closer to just like clowny nonsense. Um, and it involves like a lot of skill as well. 
it's not just like you learn yet yes and once and then you're done um so it's, it's been really exciting to get back into it and um yeah it's, it feels far more joyful than other stuff I've done not that the other stuff hasn't been joyful but it has been you know trying to make it work figuring out how things are developing formats and even with United where I did which I did before with Joel was so amazingly fun and joyful and stupid um but even that there was some piecing it together to make it work in terms of um longer form stuff yeah uh so yeah i'm excited about it and there's so many amazing people in it there's like 20 of us in the team um so it'll be cool yeah i i um i love short form um especially if i'm seeing a bill uh, with various acts and you know there's a short form group on there i'm like oh oh brilliant oh thank you thank you because yeah as you say you know, there are, there are some short form games I enjoy more, enjoy more than others, but I know that if I don't like it, it's going to be gone. Yeah, this will end soon. Yes, All exactly. I know is this can't last forever, <laughs> uh, and there's joy in that. Yes, and and the, this is going to last forever. Is I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting cynical with all the improv I've seen, but there are some times where I'm like, oh. <laughs> new choice. Yeah. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> Please just stop. Literally pull out a gun, shoot everyone, and continue this in another dimension. <laughs> I presume that's a reference to the American office. No. Oh, okay. I've never seen that. Oh, there's a very... Um, I find it hilarious that every time improv is represented on TV, uh, I've found it to be 100% accurate. <laughs> And it just makes me think that improvisers are simultaneously the best and the worst people. <laughs> yeah, I can confirm that. <laughs> like, everyone's really great. Everyone's also a little bit weird. <laughs> it's fine. It's a little bit obsessive about how fun it is. Yes, which is why I do so much, because I didn't even know what this was two years ago, and now I do it almost every evening yeah. or day or second of my life um uh because it's really addictive and really really fun and stupid you don't worry you're gonna burn out well when i was first started doing united and i was doing a lot of other stuff as well uh i really felt like i was gonna burn out um and i just took a week off a week (laughs) (laughs) seven days and then (laughs) but which for me was i still did improv twice in that week so it was more like... So arguably, not really taking a week off. No, though, but, still. but literally like taking a few days off and just... Um... <laughs> it's getting the amount of time you took off. It's getting shorter and shorter. But, and then yeah. I had Christmas, and so I also didn't do it over Christmas. Okay. But, um... We didn't actually do it on Christmas Day or Boxing Day. And then... <laughs> uh, but now I do even more than I did before Christmas. So I think it's just about a variety of stuff. Yeah. Because uh, all the shows I'm in are so completely different mm. that it feels really different each time. Um, uh, yeah. Do you not worry that you're not doing anything to kind of feed the machine? If you're just improvising, do you not end up improvising about improvising? Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but um, I do do a lot of stuff as well. I mean, like, um, I don't. I don't really like not doing anything. You see what I mean? Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, which is great. And I have loads of amazing friends that don't do improv. So I hang out with them and stuff. Um, And stuff. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I think that was a concern last year. But now I don't really feel like that. And I don't really know why. I think because all different types of stuff feed into each other. Um... And maybe I've just now become so enclosed in the bubble that I can't see out. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, but I do loads of other things, so I think it's fine. That's good. That's good as long as you're doing other things as well. Some things. <laughs> my, a few of my friends are like, do you want to stop? Because it's weird now that you do all the time. And I'm like, okay, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, I don't know, I did... Um, a part-time master's a couple of years ago that was like 30 hours a week uh, and I was working full-time at the same time and it just kind of made me see how much capacity 
that you have in a week to be able to do stuff outside of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it, I, instead of like in, immediately, instead of just letting that all that extra time that I'd found kind of fade back into watching TV and not doing anything, looking at my phone, um, I just put all of that extra hours directly into improv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it, it felt like a natural, like I wasn't, um, I don't know, I think I do a lot of stuff all week and I think a lot of people who I know think that like, oh, don't need a rest, I need to do other things. But that's just not how I work yeah. now. So yeah, I broke my ankle last year and um, the worst thing about it was not being able to do stuff for six weeks. Yeah. Uh, but I still did improv the whole time. Really? So I actually auditioned for United with a broken ankle. Wow. Uh, and went to all the rehearsals with a broken ankle. Wow. And I was doing Katie Shoots course at the same time. <laughs> um, so it's it was just, um, it kind of like carried me through as something that would stop me just sitting in my house, yeah. which is like my most unnatural state of being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just hate being inside. Even though I have a lovely, nice house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, rather not be in it all the time. That's really interesting. I find that I would love to be like that, but I find I need time to kind of recharge and retreat and uh, I wish I was like you. Well, I don't. I think it's um, a great way of being everyone being different because, yeah, I think I'm a. I think to look at it this way, the way that I look at it is, I would love to be like you because I get all my energy from like as a tr like a proper extrovert. Uh -huh. I get my energy from other people, yes. and I would love the ability to not need to do that. Yes. And be able to just go home sit reflect for a bit and that be my source of energy because it makes you far more independent yes whereas i am so dependable on external uh stimuli and external things yes um that i, I see that as a flaw yeah, that's interesting so you can see the same thing in a different way yes yes i find um yes i yes it's, it's always interesting because people always want what the other person has got and they don't always appreciate what they have got but I find that um, I have a certain amount of energy that I can devote to being around people. And once that energy is used up, I might as well go home. Because, mm. and I find it's about three hours. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if the improv workshop's about two and a half hours, you've still got another hour, a half an hour of me in the pub afterwards. But if it's three hours, I'm like, well, it's kind of quite nice being around people, but I've no more energy and I can listen and that's a nice thing to do but I have nothing to say anymore because I've used it all up in my three hours of improv uh, so that's why I don't come to the pub very often sorry yeah my mine is like 23 hours wow I need like three hours of alone time <laughs> cool uh, and you're also taking uh, the duos course taught yes, by Jules Munns at the nursery. I am. How's that going? It's so good. Um, the I, I went to the first class, and my friend Mari missed it, uh, or someone missed it, and they were like, "Oh, how was it?" And I was like, "It was the best, honestly, the best class I've ever taken. It was so much fun, yes. and I've loved it because it has been. I love Jules's way of." teaching yes so do I um and it's about like I just finished doing the Meisner course oh, right. um so I went straight from the Meisner into this and I felt like there was a lot of parallels in terms of um with Meisner with rep and stuff yeah you're just reacting to the other person and yeah. it's about uh not like not having limits on yourself um and doing a, the Meisner course it really kind of broke down some of my self-constraint uh, like feeling like I was gonna make a fool of myself and it helped me to be far more like open and vulnerable uh, I did a cry I was very proud of myself <laughs> uh, and then going straight into duos and having duels have that same kind of thing like push it further um, escalate like what can you do to escalate this um, was a really great thing and obviously performing with you <laughs> was super fun oh, because uh, I feel like uh <laughs> Yeah, I really, um, you're so good at uh, 
taking on all my nonsense <laughs> and like really positively yes ending it i don't think you've ever blocked anything ever and I, so it allows i don't know how i would block your nonsense yeah. <laughs> <laughs> part of me that thinks maybe that would be useful <laughs> maybe <laughs> uh, yeah so it allows it to be escalated even further than a normal thing because you're just so open to that energy that it's just really really fun well i find you very uh i find myself uh, even from the first session actually very comfortable improvising with you um and yeah channeling that energy has not been a, a problem for me i just yeah yeah that's the thing it felt so natural and easy to do um so yeah i really really enjoyed it a lot yeah i um i really do enjoy jules's teaching um and it's been a really nice group mm. i don't know what it is about duos but it seems to attract the best sort of people <laughs> Uh, definitely. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I know if you, I know a lot of people. I think the the what's also good about it is it's, you know, experienced enough people. Yeah. Um, so that you know you're starting from a base level of understanding, which has been really easy to then connect and get. Yes, I mean there is there are joys to be had from improvising with people with less experience because they don't know the rules and anything could happen and that can be genuinely surprising. But yes, it is nice. Or you know, at the other end of the spectrum, that yeah, everyone's kind of got a shared understanding of what we're doing, and we're all kind mm. of yeah. That's it's been one of my favourite courses. Yeah, I mine too. I really loved it. Oh, it's still happening. So it's still um, happening. Yes. I'm still enjoying it now. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, so, if someone were to perform with you, say maybe this Saturday. <laughs> Yeah, well, imagine. Look at that, yeah, it's part of a duo. Uh, <laughs> hypothetically. Oh. Um, what could they do to delight you on stage? Oh yes, this is a great question. I love this question. Um, so, yeah, I think the things that delight, have delighted me recently um, have been, yeah, the kind of escalation in terms of... Um, uh, being really positive uh, and really going that one step further and being a bit clowny, like, well, not that I've ever done a clown course or anything, you want know what that is, but, you know, like the th I've seen a lot of clown performances uh, this year and what I loved about it is that they kind of take it to a step and then they go further um, and they really interact with the audience yeah. and... Uh, create something like a feeling whether it is laughter or something else or like disgust uh, maybe not do that but, um, <laughs> uh, yes uh, yes two that's slabs what's... of ham yeah two slabs of ham just like lightly pressing against each other in a kind of wafty way yeah in a sexual way no and um, yeah so that would be delightful to just be able to be really positive and just see what happens and be really stupid. Um, and I quite like being physical in terms of like high energy uh, stuff. And then I can't remember the other ones. I think I wrote them down before. I don't know what they are. Let's <laughs> read them. I should have passed you from the notebooks. Uh, from, from the notes I took last night. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Magic of podcasts. Um, yeah. Can you read my handwriting. <laughs> I can, I can. So, um, oh yeah, I really like contrast um, and tension. So um, doing something really fun or stupid, but then throwing in the who, what, where that creates this like, what? Yes. Uh, um, and then, yeah, the contrast. Um, it's really interesting that because some people uh, in the audience, some people say that people in the audience can't relax and settle into the scene until they know who's talking, where they are and or what's happening, that sort of thing. Whereas I think as long as you get the relationship hmm. between the people, the rest will fall into place. Yeah, the way it was described to me was either it's important or it's not important. So if you say the who, what, where at the beginning, that makes it unimportant to the scene. Ah, that's it's, interesting. But if you throw it in the middle, then you you have to make it an important part of it. Ah, yeah, so yeah. you could be having this like hugely in-depth personal conversation with someone and then halfway through being like, oh, the bus is here. Uh, you, 
bye. <laughs> <laughs> like, because it's, it's like two strangers who have never met. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm Bob, by the way. <laughs> like, and that's when you make it an important part of the scene. Whereas if you say at the beginning, oh, you're getting the number 25 it's nice to see Bob I haven't seen you for a while <laughs> then you make that very unimportant to the scene oh, that's interesting uh, that's how it's described to me that in a way that I enlisted yeah, yeah, yeah. so I quite like it throwing in as a kind of like curveball whatever that kind of gets a, another like it's like my favourite move in any improv scene ever is halfway through a scene just put your pants back on <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone is like wait so that whole thing you were naked that whole time <laughs> so yeah you just like halfway through start to put your clothes back on and then like be like oh, okay uh, that's that kind of stuff like you, you you make it important in that way then it makes it everyone has to rethink the whole thing that they've just seen and do a bit of like a double take um which is like quite like yes. funny um yes can you explain what you mean by this sort of um, opposite reaction, the sort of contrast kind of thing? Um, yeah, I think it's that kind of um, uh, the uh, if 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 someone does something, then the instant reaction might be to be negative or something, but you like hyper positive respond, um, then it's kind of like the opposite reaction that you would normally have and that allows it to go in a different way yeah, yeah. Um, uh, or like in that way where you do something halfway through that creates this kind of like ah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, opposite reaction that cha- shifts what the whole scene has been about right, completely yes, yes, so I think we did one scene where we were like running about being stupid and then halfway through, I was like, it's a crime scene. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, and like, what? And so now you have to like justify the fact that you've now been doing all this stupidness whilst jumping around like all these bodies. Um, <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff that I, I really like. It's like being a stupid, curveball-y nonsense. Yes, so. uh, no, I understand that. No, that, sounds, uh, that sounds great. I've got to ask, so in last night's session, when we were doing... Because we were doing the living room format, and mm. in the truthful side of it, was it you? Were you in the truthful side of it when you said you'd want to be on Silent Witness? Yes, I do. That is genuine, like want of mine. Uh, I love Silent Witness. I've loved it forever, and I really want to be in an episode of Silent Witness. And my, uh, I'm not an actor, so my only way that I can imagine ever being in Silent Witness is being one of the dead people. Um, <laughs> So, and that would be fine, but obviously they find, like, at the beginning of the show, they normally, there's, like, a 30-second thing of someone getting murdered, uh, or they already find the dead body, uh, and then the rest of the episode is them cutting up the body and figuring out how they were murdered, and, uh, yeah, so my main limitation is, like, could I be fully naked on BBC One? <laughs> um, <laughs> And then once I've gotten over that mental hurdle, I think I'll be ready to be inside a witness. Right. And I'm just, I, they're just going to open the doors. And then I'm like, oh, you're ready. Oh, come on in. We, we were waiting. We were waiting this whole time. Nice to meet everyone. Like, oh, hey. Yeah, that's mainly it. My One of my main, like, life ambitions. Cool, because afterwards I was like, yeah, you definitely said that on the truthful side of the stage. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to be inside it when it's such a good show. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> now, you, now you mention it, obviously. <laughs> Would wish to be in the Silent Witness, whether one had to be naked. Other murder mysteries are available. <laughs> <laughs> how, uh, when you're playing um, the people on stage, uh, how much do you like to give them gifts and how much do you like to mess with them? And is it not the same thing? Oh yeah, um, I really like messing with people, and uh, I think that's why I really like performing with you. It's because you always really take it on the chin. Um, uh, yeah, I really like messing with people a lot. In what thing. sort of way? Um, yeah, like just doing a normal scene and then halfway through being like, "We're an octopus," or whatever, and then they're like, "No, we're not." <laughs> I'm like, oh, "We are now," because they said it. Um, that kind of stuff I think is really fun and that's one of the things that I worry about in scenes that I do I add too much curveball stuff right um 
yeah, so I think that I have been trying to tone that down a little bit because I can just add too much stuff to a thing. But, um, yeah, I like to mess with people. You see, I quite like the curveball <laughs> stuff. And I like it because it allows me to interact with the audience. Mm. And interacting with the audience is something I've been really thinking about a lot recently. And if you were to throw me such a curveball, there's an opportunity for me to have a silent communication with the audience about like, okay, we're doing that now. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm going to fold that into the narrative, but yes, audience, that was surprising, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yes, I hate her. <laughs> Do you too? Oh, wonderful. <laughs> On the same page. Don't but... worry, audience, I've got this. <laughs> I might need a few seconds just to... Oh, okay, let's go back into it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, That's what I really loved about the United stuff is um, because the whole premise of it is like a super support and you're like really like a sports team. You cheer whether someone gets in the goal or not. Um, apparently that's how sports work. That's how sports I, work. I really don't know. No, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. That's how Joelle has explained it to me. Um, Joelle is worth speaking to for many, many reasons. But, <laughs> but his experience of sport is no way matches my experience of sport. And I thought, if I had your experience of sport, I might like sport. Mm. Well, I had a flatmate uh, and a really good friend who's a sports journalist and... He has explained sport to me in a different way as well, in the sense that it's not necessarily about the sport, but it's about having faith in something untangible and outside of yourself. Ah. Uh, very similar to like a religious Religion. experience. Yeah. <laughs> and you, it's like you go to a place every Sunday uh, for a set period of time. Sing songs You sing together. songs. Uh, and, you know, it's emotive experience. And it's that kind of thing. It's about the camaraderie and it's about the connection and it's about the belief. And I think that that's kind of what improv is as well, in the sense that it is a, it's about being together and being supportive of each other um, uh. and going to a place for a set period of time and singing songs, uh, which is what religion is. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> United, we got to a point where all we were doing was really pushing each other um, and pimping each other out because there was this like mentality that it was okay and everything would work out because you're going to be supported no matter what yeah and that could have been a negative thing some might say it was but also <laughs> it was quite fun to do because i love the fucking around yes as long as there's like full trust there yes. and i would never like uh screw someone over to make them look bad no. ever it is more about serving the scene and i don't like pimping people into doing stuff they don't want to do um, if they really don't want to do it. Yeah. Like, with the surface of, oh, no, I really don't want to do a rap. Secretly, I really do want to do a rap. <laughs> but even that, I, I would never do, like, forcing someone to rap or sing. It's more like putting us both into the situation. Uh, right. So it's more like, hey, donkey, uh, why stop humping that man. Um, it's not that kind of stuff. It's more like <laughs> oh, we're both donkeys who have been sent away for uh, humping men. Or whatever, and uh, like putting us both into that situation, um, being there together is what I think is is like a gift and also a curveball-y, screwing abouty, whatever the right word is. Yes, it's interesting because I've heard uh, I hadn't really thought about uh, endowing you both in that situation. I've heard people talk about how you shouldn't make that other person a terrible thing. If you want something to be a terrible thing, endow yourself as it and then play that. Uh, but putting you both in that sort of uh, area is really interesting. Big follow question. Uh, what's your signature move? What what do you do brings the house down? There we go. Oh, classic cat. Saves the day again with a signature move. I don't know. I have a terrible memory and also I wouldn't know what my signature move is. I think other people would. Um, uh, I guess... It's being um, dark. Ah. Uh, or, or maybe, okay, maybe my, my definite signature move, and which is something that I think maybe oh, mostly I do, I haven't seen many other people do it, is the such like as uh, making hand job jokes in a political inquiry. Uh, that kind of stuff. Like in inappropriate. Inappropriate, um, ridiculous jokes. Uh, 
in what is normally a serious thing. Uh, I think that would be my, uh, that would be my signature move. So you, um, you say jokes. Well, you know what I mean, like gags. Um, and and because I'm really interested in this, um, so does the thought occur to you, and it's like, ah, right, this is a gag, this is funny, I'm going to say this, and then it gets a laugh, or do you ever have that? I think um, my friend described it to me when he saw me doing improv for the first time. He said, uh, it's funny because you're just being yourself, (laughs) Um, and the reasons you're funny in real life are the reasons you're funny in improv. And so I think that's my signature move is because that's what I'm like in real life is one that I just say what I actually think. Right. Um, because I am always actually thinking all of these things. And <laughs> I have just learned to not say them. Um, and my, when I do actually say them, it comes across as like really leery. But really, that's just what I'm thinking all the time. Uh, so, yeah, like on the Heads My Roll, when I was we were talking about something and then I suddenly was like, well, no one likes hand jobs. You could do it better yourself. Uh, and then Joel was like what <laughs> and I was like well that's true anyway but beside the point we're a political inquiry um, but stuff like that I think would be my signature move is being myself brilliant in it's filthy horribleness that I am brilliant <laughs> <laughs> thank you for coming on the Improv London oh, podcast thank you And apologies for having me. (laughs) I made this. That's improv!